Today is the ninth of Adar, and my grandfather, Rabbi Fulgun Alvashon, he loved every holiday, especially loved Hasidic holidays, but his favorite day of all days of the year was the ninth day of Adar. He was actually there many years ago, I don't know what year was it, 1940, when the previous Rebbe came to America 73 years ago, um, 83 years ago. Um, he was there when the boat arrived, and it was, that was the biggest news in town at the time. And every year he celebrated, he invited his friends, he sent letters to all of his friends, like Roshama Karlbach, Rabzalman Shechter, all the old time uh, Hasidim. Actually, Rabzalman Shechter was my grandparents' Shadchan. He arranged their Shidduch. So, um, uh, so he, he invited all his friends. It was a very, very special day for him. I think one of the reasons it was so special for him was because the previous Rebbe gave a statement shortly after he arrived here, which uh, gave over a sentiment. The sentiment he gave over was, America is no different. The simple meaning of that sentiment was, just like Hashem is in Europe, and the Torah is in Europe, and now America is, is the golden in Medina, the golden country where everything is different. So the previous Rebbe came, and he, not just he said it, but he began a network of, of, an of many, many organizations that started then and continues to today that showed America isn't different. And that's possible that the Torah and the mitzvahs and, the, and Hashem are eternal in all places and all times. And it made him feel connected. It was very special for him this day. And, and, and it, it revolutionized, really, America this day. So um, this is also not just an event that happened then and continues to bear fruit today, but also the sentence that he said has a very strong message, a very profound message for each of us in our lives. Um, the title of this week's Torah portion, Tetzava, means to be connected. And everyone has different times they feel more connected. Some people feel connected when they study Torah. Some people feel connected when they give charity. Some people feel connected when they pray. And they have their, we have our American moments, if you will, and we have our European moments. We have the moments where we're across the ocean, that Hashem is an ocean away from us. And the ninth of other is about connecting the dots, and not, and not to feel that, not to just keep things, um, the truths that we believe in, to be something that's relegated to various times and places, but to reveal that truth and that faith we have in Hashem in all places and in all times. That's actually the title of the additional Torah portion that we read um, this week. We need to remember what, what Amalek did to you. The word Amalek is related to the word to sever, Molak. To sever the body from the head. The, the role of a malik is to chop off the head. What physically a malik tries to destroy us, but spiritually, the Hasidic masters explain, a malik is all about taking the ideals that you know to be true, the things you know in your heart that are real, and to say this isn't relevant now, this isn't relevant here, and to sever what you believe in your, your idealism from your character and from your behavior. And the ninth of Adar and Pasha Zachar is all about the opposite, about letting that, that piece of godliness that's in your heart and let it spread. Let it go from Egypt to Israel. Israel is called the good and spacious land. And even spacious, spacious land as opposed to Egypt, which means confined, is to let the things you believe in to spread and to envelop you and to, and to, and to live with it. Just to um, begin with a, a story, which I just heard from a good friend of mine, Rabbi Yossi Sobel from Crown Heights, originally from good old hometown of Worcester, Massachusetts. He, every um, Friday, he tries to go, uh, I think, I'm not so familiar with New York, I just know he said, down the Jackie, so whatever, for me, that could be anywhere. Um, he goes down the Jackie, and he goes to some, some offices, 
every week the same people, he puts on film with them. And one week he had a little more time, about two months ago. And he decided he's going to, um, he's going to uh, visit other people. He has some more time. So he stopped, he, he, he took the Jackie a few exits earlier than where he needed to go. And he stopped off, he was, it was a very non-Jewish neighborhood, very Hispanic neighborhood. But he saw, as, as he's driving, he saw Mezuzah in one, one, of the, one of the companies there. So he stops off at this, uh, at this company, and sure enough, there's a Jewish woman who is a proprietor of this, of this company, and she opens up to him. She says that she hasn't spoken to her son in over a decade, and this really bothers her because she's alone, and she's living by herself, her older children already gotten married, and this son hasn't gotten married yet, and very, very close, she feels very close to him. But this son is not only not talking to her, he's not talking to anyone in the family. It was a, a very bad divorce, and her husband was very abusive. So uh, her son, after they got divorced, um, he basically left the family, and he left Judaism. In a very, and moved to, here to Los Angeles. And uh, she, was, um, she was very distraught. And she did was, she said the whole Tehillim every Shabbos, entire Tehillim, asking Hashem, just her son should talk to her. Just her son to talk to her. Anyways, she gave my friend a little donation for the yeshiva that he works in. And then um, he says to her, listen, you participated in the Rebbe's institution. That makes you a partner with the Rebbe. And I'm going to ask the Rebbe for a blessing for you. I'm going to write a letter to the Rebbe and ask what's your son's name. She wrote it down, her son's name, her name. I'm going to ask her for a blessing. So a month later, again, he had some time. Again, it's Friday. Again, he was down the Jackie. Again, he stops off at her office. You won't believe what happened. She says, two weeks ago, my son went to a 7-Eleven in Los Angeles. Oh, what are you getting 7-Eleven in Los Angeles? What are you buying 7-Eleven? Obviously, hold on, right? Obviously, a Slurpee. That's not, you can't buy hot dogs unless you live in, in, in Muncie. They don't even call no. hot dogs in, 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 the, in, these Slurpee, in these 7-Elevens. So he gets a, gets a Slurpee, and, uh, and he, um, he, he comes back with his uh, cherry Slurpee, and he's going back to his car, he has his dog in his car, but all of a sudden, the car isn't there and the dog isn't there. He calls the police, LAPD comes, reports, searching, nothing. And he knows that every hour that passes, less of a chance he's going to get his car back, less of a chance, more important to him, is to get his dog back. And he was hard to pray, as he hadn't prayed in a long time. He prayed to Hashem, Hashem, I promise you, if you bring back my dog, which for me is like family, I will call my mom. I will go. I will. I will come closer to my 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 my, my mother to my parent. So, the LEPD calls him the next day. Apparently, these guys who stole the car, trying to push the car onto the highway, on the ten highway, and they um, and the cops caught them. And after I didn't catch them, they just got the car. They ran away, but the dog wasn't there. They searched a little longer, and they found the dog. So the mother says, you don't understand. Two weeks ago, my son called me, and he's calling me every night. We're talking for two hours, three hours, four hours, every night. You don't know what kind of a, kind of a life this is now for me to, to get back to be re- reunited with him. So I'm just thinking about the guy holding the cherry Slurpee on that lonely night and tur- turning to Hashem and asking Hashem to help him. And identify with him. <laughs> 
I identify with him, and I think we all do. We all have the questions in our life, things we understand, things we don't understand, things that make us shake our heads and say, why, 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 why is this happening? What's going on? There was a jester in the time of the Alter Rebbe, a badchan, who performed at weddings. He say jokes. So he comes to this wedding, and uh, the Alter Rebbe is there, and he says a joke to the Alter Rebbe. He says, they say you're very smart. They say you're a great miracle worker. He has all these wonderful things about you. But really, he tells the Alter Rebbe, there's not much of a difference between me and you. Why? He says, listen, whatever I know, you know. Whatever you don't know, I don't know either. There are just some things that you know that I don't know. Very small difference. <laughs> so the Alter Rebbe, the, the way the story is told, he went into a state of spiritual rapture after hearing that. There's depth. There's depth to what that person said. And the depth is, is that there's more of life that we don't understand than the part that we do understand. There's a lot more that we don't know than we do know. And this brings us to the story of Purim. On the mitzvah of Purim, we know there are four mitzvahs of the day. They all start with the mem, Mishleach Manas, and the gifts to our friends. Tanas Avyenim, gifts to the poor. And Mikra Megillah, Tirad Megillah, and Mishta to celebrate. And astonishingly, we all know the Torah says to celebrate on Purim until you cannot differentiate between blessed is, I always get this part wrong, blessed is Mordechai and cursed is Haman. I said it right this time. You're, 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 you're okay. Anyways, you're supposed to celebrate until you can't tell the difference. Until you drink, until you can't, can't tell the difference. And the obvious question is, what's the point of that? You're supposed to think that the hero is the villain and the villain is the hero. Why? The Svasemes, interestingly, says, it says in the Talmud, look so carefully, you're supposed to celebrate until you cannot distinguish. But don't reach that point. Stop there. Once you realize you're going to reach a state where you cannot distinguish, stop, put on the brakes, stop drinking. Okay, so drink up to that point, then stop. Now, so what does that exactly mean? Like, think about it practical. You have like four cups of uh, mashke. Okay, this one's okay. This one's okay. Oh, I went past the line. <laughs> okay. How are you supposed to know? You can't really know. What does Fasemis mean? And also, this is taken in a simple sense. Judaism is all about the mind controlling the heart, not just doing things because you want, doing the right thing. The whole, the whole point is to know what's right and what's wrong and to do what Hashem wants you to do. Why all of a sudden is this Purim where we're doing the opposite? You're supposed to not know the difference between what's right and what's not right. How does that make any sense? So I'm going to share with you a teaching of the same Alter Rebbe that can really open up our lives and live in a whole different way, in a very amazing way. But before we do, let's learn a little bit more about, about Purim in general. Purim, we know, the Zohar says, is greater than Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is called a day that's only like Purim, but Purim is better. Purim is higher. Not only is Purim better than Yom Kippur, more, the Talmud says that when Mashiach will come, all of the holidays that we celebrate now will be considered negligible. Negligible, the Talmud says, it's like lighting a match when the sun's shining. Who notices a match when the sun's shining? All the other holidays are going to be considered negligible because Mashiach has come. There will be the resurrection of the dead. It will be such an amazing celebration. Who's going to even notice that it's Pesach, that it's Sukkot? Every day will be like Pesach and Sukkot. It'll be more than Pesach and Sukkot, except for one. One holiday outshines them all, and that holiday will be significant even after Mashiach comes. And that is the story and the, and the celebration of, of Purim. So let's go back to the story and try to figure out what so why is this like, greater than Yom Kippur, and even after Mashiach comes, it's considered to be so significant. So we all know the story. Achashverosh in the third year of his reign, he makes a big party. 
he invites everyone, he celebrates, and after he is celebrating for a couple of years, uh, he gets drunk, and I'm sorry, 180 days was the party, he gets so drunk and he, he asks um, a very uh, disgusting thing, he asks his wife, the queen, to appear naked before him, she refuses, and he asks his advisors what to do, and the advisors say to uh, offer their head, or be burnt alive, according to some commentaries. So, um, so Vashti is, is, is killed, and then they have to find a new queen. So what does Achatreyesh do? He, makes his, he asks his advisors, his advisors say, look for, look for someone who's beautiful for you, and it takes four years until they finally discover Esther. Esther isn't really a good candidate. First of all, you know how old Esther was? Esther was 75. Second of all, not only was she 75, Talmud says, Yerach says, so she wasn't that, that beautiful, according she to one of Her face was green. face was green. So she's 75-year-old uh, greenish, green Jew. Yellow. Yellow. Okay. Either way, either way not, not that appealing. And this is the one who wins the, the, the beauty contest. And then um, Haman comes, and Haman makes the worst decree ever against the Jewish people. Uh, Hitler had in his bunker, he had a map of the world and a list of all the Jews, amount of Jews in each country. And he, that was his goal, to destroy all the Jewish people. But the difference between Hitler and Haman is that Haman actually had a plan to make this work that all the Jews should die in the same day. Yemach uh, Shemo, he, he, he wasn't going to kill all the Jews, he could always escape to another country. Here it was going to, the decree was to destroy all the Jewish people. And Mordechai wears sackcloth and ashes. The Talmud says, the Torah, the Megillah says, he knew what happened. I mean, everyone knew what happened. What's, what does it mean? He knew all that had happened. What's the big deal? Everyone knows what happened. Who didn't know what happened? Everyone, the whole, the Jew, all the Jewish people were, were distraught about what happened. So the explanation of what Mordechai knew was not just he knew what happened, he knew why it happened. He knew that because of the meal that the Achashverosh had served and the Jewish people's participation at the meal, they uh, were they were liable to be um, to, to to receive punishment from on high. The different opinions of Talmud what the issue was. One opinion of Talmud was they enjoyed the meal of that wicked person, which Chassidus explains means that it wasn't just that they ate non kosher or they they ate a meal which they were using the vessels of the holy temple. It was more that they felt so good to be invited by Achashverosh. They felt safe in the hands of Achashverosh. They didn't realize that we are just like a sheep in the hands of seventy wolves. And the only reason we're alive is because of the big shepherd. So by placing their trust in the wolves, they pushed away the shepherd's uh, benevolence, so to speak, and they're left to the uh, designs of the wolves. And of course, another opinion was idolatry. Mordechai knew the root cause of the of the sin, and therefore he knew that the way to fix this wasn't by by diplomacy in the government. Rather, he knew the way to fix this was to get to the root cause and inspire everyone to do teshuva. And after that was addressed, he has to also make an effort in nature as well. And that is when he calls for Esther. And Esther sends a message to Mordechai, actually, what's going on. And Mordechai sends back a message to Esther and tells her, you have to go to the king. You have to ask the king to take away this decree. And what does Esther respond? Everybody knows, it's famous in the whole country, that anyone who has not been summoned to the king and appears in his royal court, Achas Dasi Lahamis, he will immediately be killed. He or she will immediately be killed. So, watch out, watch out, watch out, watch out, watch out, watch out, watch out. No, no, that's something else to come. Don't worry, it's all good. So, he knew, 
Lechaim Lechaim Thank you, thank you. Thank you, Thank you, Okay. So Esther says to Mordechai, you've got you to be kidding. I can't go to Dachash. I haven't been called in 30 days. I have an idea, Mordechai. Let's wait a little bit. Let's wait. Why well, should go to Mordechai right now? He hasn't called me in 30 days. He may be upset at me. Now, the decree to destroy the Jewish people is going to be in the 13th of Nisan. We got lots of time till then. Why should I go to him now? Doesn't make any sense. Thirteenth of Adar is a lot of time. Why should I go to him right now? We got some time. Maybe he will suddenly have a change of heart. It's not a good idea. So Mordechai sends back to her. Don't think you'll be saved. He tells her three messages. Message number one. He says, tells her, um, don't think that you will be saved among your brother, among all the Jewish people, just because you're the queen. You see what the queen, the king did to the previous queen. You're not going to be saved just because you're the queen. Number two, he says to her, the Jewish people are eternal nation. They'll, they'll for sure be saved. The, the only question is whether you'll have the merit to do this. So he tells Esther, you will lose the merit to do this unless now is your chance. This will happen with or without you. And third of all, he tells Esther, maybe, maybe, just maybe, this is the reason you were chosen to be queen. Those are the three messages he tells Esther. And Esther responds, she says, okay. I'll go to the king Asher Likados against the rules, and Kashavati Avarati, and if I meant to be meant to die, I'll die. The commentaries explain when Esther said I'm going to go to the king against the rules, it doesn't only mean they're against the rules of the royal government, it also means against the rules of the Torah. She was married, according to some opinions, at that time to Mordechai. And she was how she's going to Achashverish in the first place. She's not allowed to be with another man. And the answer is, the Gemara says that she was passive, she was taken against her will. But here, if she would go voluntarily and therefore, thereby um, show agreement to her marriage, this would put into question her marriage with Mordechai. And actually, some commentaries say that when the Tezna the Megillah, that the Jewish people after the end of the story had joy and happiness and gladness and honor, everyone celebrated except for Esther. Esther didn't celebrate because she was, had, was forbidden to her husband. According to some commentaries, and no, he was happy. No, thanks. So, so Esther was forbidden to her husband after uh, the story. Don't, 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 don't. And that's why she didn't celebrate. And that's why we call it Megillus Esther. Why call Megillus Esther? Because the incredible sacrifice that she had to make this miracle happen. But the question is, what pushed her to go to Achashverosh? Mordechai told her three messages, but the third message, especially. Seems problematic. What was the third message? He says, who knows, maybe. We don't want to, you want to convince someone to do something, you tell them maybe. Maybe it's a good idea for you to do this. You want to, do something, you want to convince someone to do something, you tell them, you're the guy. You're the one we need. You're the only one who could be the chazen, Alex. Right? That, that's, that's, uh, whatever. That's, that, that's, that's when you get to their attention. When you say, you're the only guy, you say, well, there's many chazanim, and maybe you could be the chazan too. It's not so convincing. So why did Mordechai use such an unconvincing maybe? What was he saying? So there's a beautiful explanation, but before we get to the explanation, let's go a little bit more to understand. Let's go a little deeper. There was a guy who was saying Tachnon. But he wasn't like really focused. He was like looking around. And someone sees, he's not really focused. He's looking at his phone, looking up, looking down, looking around. He finishes saying Tachnon. The other guy walks over to him and says, listen, 
you know, when you, um, when you knock on the door, someone's at home, so they could open the door for you. But if there's nobody at home, if there's no man behind in the house, they can't open the door. You're knocking on the door. When you say Hashan Bagan, you're knocking. <laughs> but if there's nobody there, there's no, way, there's no way to open up. There's no way to open up. So let's knock a little bit on the door and understand, ask, ask uh, very, very fundamental questions that uh, come into our head all the time. What are we doing here? Just like Mordechai, um, just like Esther had this question of why was she in the scenario that she was in and what, what she needs to do, there was this guy, his name is Raphael Samuel, lived in India, he's a lawyer, and he took his parents to court. Why take his parents to court? Here's Alman. Took his parents to court because how dare they give birth to him? This was in San Francisco, it was in India. They took him to, they took him to, they took him to court. How dare they give birth? So, and as he's prosecuting, giving all of his arguments, the judge turns to the parents, what do you have to say? And the father says, listen, actually, before he was born, we asked him if he wanted to be here. He didn't answer. So we assumed that he was okay with it. So it's, it's really hard for us to imagine, even though we know there was, we were a certain amount of years old and we weren't there before, it's hard for us to imagine us not being here. It's also hard for us to imagine after 20 years how that's possible because we're here. We still feel so present. And, but Hashem, um, chose for us to be here at this time, in this place, and we wouldn't ask to be born. We didn't ask for, not only didn't ask for to be born, you didn't ask to be a boy or a girl, you weren't asked, you want to be a boy or a girl, you want to be smart, you want to be silly, you want to be tall, you want to be short, we won't even ask what color eyes we want to have. And many other things that happened to us that weren't our choice, even our desires that we have, we have lots of desires. You want chocolate, you want a car, you want this, those are things Hashem built into you that you want, that you have to want, because He made you that way. And the question is, why did Hashem make us with all this, uh, all this complication? And, and, and it's a question, you know, I'm here and all these things going on, what is it for? You see something, though. You see something amazing about, you speak to any, this philosopher, philosophy professor, he um, gave a test to his students after four years in his class, final exam, test is like this, four years, preparing for this last final test. Questions, expecting to have questions through the roof. There's only one question on the test. Question is, why? Everyone starts to write this and that and up and down. What's the guy asking? Everyone fails the test, except for two people. One person got a B and one person got an A. The first one wrote, because. And the second one wrote, why not? Why not? So we have um, all kinds of things going on in our life that we don't understand. More that we don't understand. The stuff we do understand too. And Hashem gives us things we know what they're for. Hashem gives us a geshmak like Rab Zalman in order to teach, teach the Torah and to raise his good midas. There's a purpose to understand. Hashem gives a person parnasa. He knows what it's supposed to be used for, for good things. There's a lot more that we don't know. And you look in, But you see though that when I, you look in your body, you look at the way Hashem built you, you know that you matter. Doctors know more than anyone else how amazing the human body is. Think about this. In every human body, there are veins. You stretch them out. There's 160,000 kilometers of veins in each person. And if, you, if you, two people, they just tie their veins together, can make a rope that goes all the way to the moon. There, there are, every single day, born in a body, uh, millions and millions of blood cells. There's um, uh, 15 million blood cells born every second. 15 million blood cells dying every second. Um, your blood cells, your red blood cells, stay in your body for 120 days. 
And in, during that time, they travel 120 million kilometers. In the 120 days, in the first 25 seconds on your body, they travel through the body already once, and they stay in your body until they travel 120 million kilometers. Um, in each blood cell, there are 300 million molecules of, hem, hem, uh, what's it called? Hemoglobin. hemoglobin, thank you. And hemoglobin also is compromised of other things also. It, go, it goes, and so you see, even a human being, you make a telephone, you make, you make a computer, you invest time, you make an app, you invest time, you invest energy, you have a purpose. So you see the Avish there, so to speak, is investing a lot in creating each of us. And when you think about this deeply, this is important, you actually feel that Hashem needs me for something and there's a purpose in why I'm here. And when you have that perspective, you don't feel depressed, you don't feel sad, you feel an amazing feeling that you are on a mission from Hashem and you have a reason to be here. That, it's a transformative thought that Hashem made you and He needs you and He wants you to do something. And even though you don't know everything about the, the mission, you do know that you are on a mission. And it's a secret. And you don't know the reason for everything. But there is a mission. And you, look at each of us in our own lives. Think about your past and how you got here, where you are. There's a million things that you didn't know were going to happen. And the same as you think you know what's going to happen in the future. There's a lot of stuff we have no idea. We don't. But we can't understand. Why can't we understand? We can't, I mean, it's, it's not a question why you don't understand Hashem. Why, don't, why is it not a question? The, the Zohar says this. The Zohar says, no thought can grasp it. How do people understand no thought can grasp it? The simple way people understand it is, you have all the minds of people together, put them all into one huge brain, and you have all the minds of all of history. Well, they understand more about Hashem than a, 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 a foolish person, than a, a complete uh, imbecile? No, because Hashem's in, in, his wisdom is infinite. That's the way people generally translate the Zohar. The Zohar means a lot more than that. The Zohar doesn't just mean that Hashem's wisdom is infinite and our wisdom is finite. Hashem created wisdom in the first place. Hashem created intellect, how intellect works. Two plus two was four is a creation of Hashem. It didn't have to be that way. Hashem could have created the world two plus two was five. The whole idea of intellect and how intellect was created was just a creation of Hashem. Hashem is beyond intellect. So in our lives we say there's a cause and there's effect and causes make effects happen. In Hashem's world, in the real world, causes don't make effects. Hashem decides this should happen first, this should happen second, and it has nothing to do with what he needs, what, what in our minds makes sense. It, it, it's not possible, because it, it, Hashem is beyond, Hashem created logic. Look at the story of the, of the Megillah. When did the miracle really start? When did the miracle begin? The king sleep. Earlier. Huh? The king could not sleep. Earlier than that. The real miracle begins... When Vashi was killed, when Vashi was killed, imagine the Jewish people are there sitting at the meal, and they're sinning in a way that they deserve to be punished, and that's when Hashem is orchestrating their miraculous salvation. It shows how little we know about, about what's going on. And this is what Mordechai told us, so this is the punchline. I'll let you guys go in four minutes. <laughs> no? Keep on going? All right. This is what Mordechai told Esther. Mordechai told Esther like this. Mioidea. It sounds like he's asking her a question. Who knows? Who knows? Like, how could he not know? Everybody knows. It's a, what are the chances the 75-year-old person was chosen to be the wife of Ahasuerus after four years? Obviously, there's a deeper meaning over here. Why did Mordechai say, who knows? So Chesus explains that who actually is like a, a, a noun. Who is someone called who? Hashem is called who? And why is Hashem called who? Because Hashem is attic. Because Hashem is infinite. Hashem is beyond creation. The word who 
denotes Hashem's transcendence. Hashem is completely beyond everything. Who knows? Mordechai was establishing this is not something that can be explained. This is the way it really is. There are some things that are beyond understanding, and this is one of them. You cannot know why, but this is the fact that you were chosen for this mission. And that's also the reason why me is numerically equivalent to 50. There are 50 gates of understanding. Mordechai is telling Esther that the secret of your mission, just like I don't understand why Hashem created me, I don't understand the whole meaning of my soul's mission, but I do know that this, Mordechai told her, this is your mission. Yeah, I don't know why, but this is your mission. Rabbi Manuel Shachat, all the Shalom, Rebbe asked him to translate the Tanya, different parts of the Tanya, and at one point, it was going back and forth, they were asked him to do more, and he wasn't able to do more. They were asked him a very interesting line. They were said, I don't know why this has to do with you. I don't know why this has to do with you. It sounds like something that Mordechai said. He said something which is, this has to do with your soul, but it's not something that is known why this has to do with your soul. In a similar way, if you feel you have the power to do something, you have the ability to do something, there's a need to get, something has to get done, what did Esther say? I wasn't called to the king for 30 days. A person may say in a similar way, I'm not called, Hashem doesn't, I'm, I'm, just, I'm detached, I'm disconnected from Hashem. I'm, 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 I'm not in it. So what does Mordechai tell Esther? Go to the king. Just go to the king. You have to go to the king. D- don't ask why. The moment you ask why, you're losing something. The whole point of you not knowing. Why does Hashem not want us to know? Why? What's the point of, there's a point of not knowing. The point of not knowing is in order to reach something inside of ourselves that's higher than logic and reason. If you know, if your connection is based upon something you know, you're not getting in touch with your deepest self. You're not getting in touch with Hashem's, so to speak, deepest self, way is transcendent. Hashem created logic. So therefore Hashem puts a person in a situation where, who knows it? our own story, our own life story, who knows what's going on? So the reason why Hashem creates the world in a way that we cannot know because he wants us to have Megillah's Esther. What's Megillah's Esther mean? Megillah means to reveal. Esther means what's hidden. He wants us to reveal in ourselves that which is hidden. He wants us to reveal something which is beyond logic and reason. And that's the meaning of the celebration of Purim. You're supposed to celebrate till, till you don't know the difference between blessed and Mordechai and Christos. What does that mean? Let's say you say Mordechai should be blessed because Mordechai is a great guy. Mordechai is a tzaddik. Mordechai is wonderful. Mordechai is kind. Mordechai is wise. Haman should be cursed because, because, as long as you're saying because, what, it's external, because it's logical, because it makes sense. Why should Mordechai be blessed? Because Hashem said Mordechai should be blessed. Why should Ham be cursed? Because Hashem said. If you're loving Mordechai because of what Mordechai does, you're only loving what Mordechai does, not Mordechai himself. Hashem wants us to love the essence of Mordechai. Hashem wants us to love him from our essence. Hashem wants us not just to hate Haman because of what Haman does, but to hate the essence of Haman. Not because you understand. And that's the meaning of Adlo Yoda to celebrate and put him, to reach a part of yourself which is higher than logic. To know that there are some things inside of you that are deeper than logic and deeper than reason. You have a power inside of you, an Hashem inside of you, the soul inside of you that has a mission that's higher than can be explained. The moment you start asking why, you're, you're losing the point. You're, you're, getting it, you're, not, you're, not, you're not reaching that part of yourself. That's why Hashem says, Lo yoda. You have to reach something which is high. Logic is all external. Logic is a creation. So Hashem puts us sometimes in situations where we don't know why in order to get in touch with that part of us which is higher than logic. And that's the Simcha of Purim is supposed to bring us to, to connect to that part of us which is devoted to Hashem, Adaloyah, without any limitations or boundaries. Why should we wait for Purim? Today, the whole 
the whole month of Purim, the whole month of Adar is about Adulayada. L'chaim, l'chaim. To realize whatever we're doing, whatever's happening, that we're connected. We can come to the king. Just come to the king. Meaning, grab the opportunity Hashem sends you. L'chaim, l'chaim.